This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome. While the Omar Cotter story was making a storm of controversy here, it did not get any attention in the U.S. until yesterday. Thornhill MP and former journalist Peter Kent had an editorial published in the Wall Street Journal, which he entitled, A Terrorist's Big Payday, courtesy of Trudeau. It then became the most read item on the Fox News website under their heading, Gitmo Lottery, Canada Makes Millionaire Out of Terrorist Who Killed U.S. Soldier. Now, after that, uh, Michelle Rampell, another conservative MP, went on Fox News, giving the story more traction. And the government, our government, responded with a tweet from Trudeau aide Gerald Butts, which decried the, and I quote, long conservative tradition of airing Canadian disputes in the Wall Street Journal. It's where Stephen Harper advocated for joining the Iraq War. So why was the editorial written? Is it just a matter of airing dirty laundry? What impact might it have? Uh, Do you think it's a good thing? The conservative leader has since said that Americans have to know that the majority of Canadians do not support the settlement with Cotter. The numbers to call, 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-744-740. And right now, let's go to Michael Diamond of the Upstream Strategy Group. Hi, Michael. How are you? I'm great, thanks. So uh, what do you make of uh, the fact of this piece? You know, I think Peter Kent's piece was uh, was very uh, straight to the point. It was uh, a very important piece to be written. I think it's great that the Wall Street Journal had interest in running the opposition perspective, which really, as we know as Canadians, is the perspective of uh, over 70% of Canadians, including the vast majority of self-identified supporters of the Liberal Party of Canada. So I think it's very important that news outlets like the Wall Street Journal and Fox News in the United States are covering uh, this uh, other side of the story in Canada. Mm -hmm. Um, I've heard some uh, very negative comments about it, saying that it's it's disgusting, that the Conservatives would, again, uh, quote, air dirty laundry, and they're turning it into something extremely partisan. You know, the the partisanship on this issue started the day of the press conference to announce the settlement when Ralph Goodale erroneously blamed Stephen Harper's government for this. And that that, that provoked Stephen Harper into responding and to apparently reaching out to a Tabitha Spears and uh, engaging in political activity for really the first time since uh, the 2015 election and his resignation from uh, Parliament last summer. So I think... uh, if there's fingers to be pointed on here for turning this from a, a issue, a legal issue, to a partisan issue, it definitely rests with uh, Minister Goodell. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, in terms of uh, political damage, uh, what do you think that might be? Uh, Trudeau is uh, kind of a 
quite a popular celebrity in the United States. And uh, we're about to renegotiate a trade deal. Uh, He's been making nice with uh, Donald Trump. Do you think this might have any impact? You know, I don't because and, and there's been a lot of talk on both sides that both the settlements will have an impact on the renegotiation of uh, of, of NAFTA, but so will this. Uh, there was a radio panel I listened to this morning where they were saying that uh, Peter Kent and Michelle Rempel are going to be responsible for Canada facing major consequences in the renegotiation of NAFTA. And, and I think we need to be real here and look at President Trump and that the president is not going to renegotiate NAFTA based on emotion or feeling. He's going to do what he thinks is in the best interest of American business and American taxpayers. So it's going to be irrelevant uh, to that very serious discussion. Mm -hmm. What about uh, Trudeau's image in the United States? I mean, he's been on talk shows. They've given him gifts of special socks. I mean, he really has that type of a celebrity profile. Do you think this will tarnish that? And that's, that's where this comes into effect there. And we saw that a bit, uh, definitely in Canada. I think if you look at when, when the uh, honeymoon ended for Justin Trudeau, I would say it was uh, this past late November, early December, when Fidel Castro uh, passed away. And he put out that bizarre statement that was resoundingly criticized in Canada, but also in the United States. And we saw a bit of it there, but there was a lot more coverage of it in Canada than the United States. But uh, I think on this one, which is really, it's an American issue. Uh, this isn't a Canadian issue. This is a Canadian and American issue. Uh, in the Cotter case, and uh, on this one, there's going to be more coverage, and it will uh, hasten the uh, the bloom uh, fading on uh, Justin Trudeau's rose in the United States. Mm-hmm. So, uh, again, is this? You know, I sometimes I wonder: is this a case where uh, you know something doesn't really get? I mean, it had traction here, but things tend to reach a different level when the United States recognizes it. Is there any of that at play in this? Oh, absolutely. I mean, even if you look back to that Castor issue, there was not only news coverage in Canada uh, that was quite critical of the Prime Minister in the initial statement, but then when American networks and Marco Rubio, Senator Marco Rubio and Senator Ted Cruz uh, picked up and started to comment on those statements, there was then further news coverage in Canada about it. So definitely the American news cycle on this will feed the life of the story in Canada, which will ultimately be damaging to Justin Trudeau. Mm -hmm. And uh, in terms of uh, long-term political damage, I mean, I'm uh, curious, did they just completely miscalculate what the reaction to this might be? Or was this a real calculus saying that if there's bad fallout from this, we may as well take it now as opposed to closer to the next election? Well, I think maybe not closer to the next election, because that still is a very far time away. But to do it after the House uh, rose for the summer, uh, let the story leak out, you know, in between uh, the uh, statutory holiday in Canada in July and the American statutory holiday for uh, the nation's founding, uh, was was wise in hoping that it would get washed up. You know, it's really a uh, the oldest trick in government. Dump bad things the Friday of a long weekend uh, and hope that, uh, you know, everyone too caught up in enjoying life to pay attention. This was a bit too big for that, so they, they uh, you know, A for effort, but it just wasn't going to work this time. The story is too uh, juicy. It's something that Canadians have been following really for a very long time. And I also think there might have been a mis- bit of miscalculation because if you look, there, there is a group of Canadians who, who, who view Mr. Cotter as a victim of Canada. Uh, 
they're smaller in number and, and certainly smaller in number than I would have thought heading into this uh, by looking at the polling and the coverage and the public sentiments we're saying. But I think they probably overestimated that specifically within the base of the Liberal Party, uh, the sympathy that Mr. Cotter would, uh, would, would, would get from the Canadian public. Okay, so, the, so the, they did miscalculate that. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, you know, I'm thinking that if they had let this go through the courts, even if ultimately they had to pay a settlement, if it was ordered by the court, it, it would have been less damaging to them. Exactly. And politicians running against the courts is always something that uh, can be politically uh, politically valuable as well. So there would have been that. But there's also just the greater principle. There's a time to fight and there's a time not to give in. And I think for the majority of Canadians, the, the dollar amount is less important than the principle of it. And so being being ordered to pay more by the courts, which are appointed for life, uh, instead of having the government decide on behalf of Canadians to not only give money, but to apologize, which is probably the more egregious part, uh, really is what is partially politically damaging here. And the manner in which they did it uh, to hasten the deal to possibly make it uh, difficult for the Amer- victims of the, the American victims' families to collect those funds based on the judgment in a, a state court in Utah uh, also really, I think, sits poorly with Canadian people. Okay. Uh, let's go to the phones. We've got Sam in Brantford. Hi, Sam. Hello again, uh, Libby. We're getting commu- uh, communication here every two or three days. <laughs> I'm enjoying this. Uh, I am not, I'm not going to forget it either. Anyways, uh, what I'd like to say is Trudeau was handed this problem, but he could have tried to solve it by charging Omar Carter with treason at the very beginning. Now, treason is the crime of betraying your country by helping its enemies. You don't have to injure or kill someone to be charged with treason. And I think it would have gone through, and he would have, uh, Omar Carter would have had maybe second thoughts about suing, the, the, uh, suing Canada, and I think everything would have been solved. Uh, Trudeau's going to be paying for this at the next election, believe me. Okay, Sam, let's uh, check in with Michael. Do you have a view on that? I have no idea. Could, could he have charged Carter with treason? You know, I think there's no question in my mind under the definition of treason that Omar Khadr is uh, is guilty of that in Canada uh, morally. But, uh, you know, the, the, the legality of it's uh, a question for someone who makes a lot more money than I do, unfortunately. Uh, so who knows? I also think that Mr. Khadr was in a position where he really had nothing to lose at that point by suing the government, even if there was this uh, uh, treason, treason case. So uh, why wouldn't he have continued to pursue that uh, civil action? Mm-hmm. Okay, well, uh, so uh, that's uh, one opinion. Let's move along to Mary in Hamilton. Hi, Mary. Hi, how are you? Fine, how are you? Good, thank you. This is my first time calling. Okay, wait a minute. There we go. Welcome. <laughs> thank you very much. Um, I'm not a, a legal eagle, so I can't really talk to what the government has done. However, I do feel that if there is some culpability in this, that perhaps Mr. Cotter should have sued his father's estate for bringing him over there in the first place. And then he should sue the U.S. government for containing him in Guantanamo. And lastly, I understand that the father was killed in a terrorist attack and his younger brother was also very seriously injured. And I'm hoping that the Canadian government, since that was another terrorist attack, isn't paying for his medical expenses for the rest of his life. That's all I have to say. Okay, thank you for that. Thank you. Have a good day. You you too. 
Um, okay, let's uh, move along. We've got uh, Walter in Hamilton. Hi, Walter. Hi. Uh, thank you for taking my call. You're very welcome. Okay, my uh, problem with this, I would say that uh, our Prime Minister was thrown right into, a, a, like I say, a very uh, difficult situation between a rock and a hard place. And uh, in that kind of situation, unfortunately, is that no matter what you do, you're going to get criticized one way or the other. But what makes me really angry I believe it's Harper that wrote that article where the uh, Fox Network got hold of it. And I think if Harper, having such a big mouth, why the heck doesn't he himself provide an alternative as to what he would have done if he would have been the, the, the prime minister, how he would have handled that situation? Instead, all I heard is run that big mouth of his and have offering an alternative. Well, l- oh. I'll just, uh, uh, just, just to make the point that, um, as Michael mentioned, in the news conference that Ralph Goodale and Christopher Freeland had, they blamed Harper for this, when in fact the original offense that the Supreme Court objected to occurred under Kretchen. So Harper, in a sense, I guess, was defending his record. Well, talk about a sense of guilt, isn't it? Because as far as I'm concerned, if someone bellyaches over uh, that kind of situation or a similar situation, why don't they offer an alternative? If you don't offer an alternative when criticizing like this, this, as far as I'm concerned, you know, you're nothing but a complainer. You know, it, it's not the I, job yeah. of a former uh, prime minister to offer a alternative. He was defending himself. Andrew Scheer, on the other hand, Mr. Harper's successor as conservative leader, has offered a very firm alternative, and that's that's the role. And Stephen Harper is quite right to move out of the sunshine and allow Andrew Scheer to be the opposition's Mr. Trudeau. And Andrew Scheer has offered a very strong contrast on this issue uh, with Prime Minister Trudeau that he would not have made the settlement and would have allowed it to play out in court. Well, I'm I'm proud of uh, Prime Minister Trudeau. I support him all the way. And uh, as far as I'm concerned, who is perfect? Throw the first stone. Okay, and thank you for that, Walter. For God's sake, give him a break. Okay, thank you for that. All right. Okay. Well, uh, that is uh, definitely the minority view on this, but uh, people, a lot of people uh, do support what the Prime Minister did. There's uh, no question about that. Let's hear from Celine in Oakville. Hi, Celine. Hi. Um, I just want to tell people that I feel very strongly about what's happened. I'm very ashamed of Trudeau and Canada for doing this. But there are things we can do. I have written to my American friends apologizing and sent them several articles so that they know exactly what's going on. I've also written a letter of apology to the local legion and dropped it off. I've also written a letter to the U.S. Embassy apologizing. um, (laughs) Canadians are very good at apologizing. (laughs) and, And telling them what what I have done. And I, I couldn't just let it go. I had to basically do something because I've never experienced such shame. That's all I have to say. Okay, Celine, thank you very much for that. Okay, uh, in closing, Michael, um, how long do you think this has left to run? Every time I think this story is going to die down, uh, it perks right back up again. 
Oh, you know, we're going to see it, uh, and especially because of the uh, the very tense issues with Canada-U.S. relations, which this will not impact, but it will it will uh, provide color on the coverage of that relationship and the, the evolving relationship there. We're going to see the story go through the summer. We're going to see, I, I would predict that Andrew Scheer's first question as leader of the opposition in Parliament in the next session of Parliament, when it resumes in September, I believe it's September 18th, will be about this issue. So it's not going anywhere any faster, and it's these little issues that are going to compound, because in the grand scheme of things, this isn't a huge government scandal. It's just something that makes people ashamed, just like that Castro statement. And that's going to be Trudeau's undoing. It's not going to be a big a big issue. It's going to be a compound of small little issues that people get really uh, irritated by. Okay. Thank you very much for that, Michael Diamond of Upstream Strategy. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.